Welcome to the fifth time we're starting this <laughs> podcast. I am your host, Scott White, and this is the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. And my my co-host for this episode, can you please introduce yourself one more time? Well, I would think you would have it memorized by now, but sure, for your four or five viewers, I will happy to. My name is Lori Ayers. I live in Michigan, and I basically do comedy character character comedy started in the mid 80s which i think that was what 35 40 years ago and i'm still cranking it out well now so i thought you were only like 31 or 32 yeah so i started when i was really young yeah, i you must have i you were doing stand up in the uterus exactly and uh, the episode, or what we're doing on this episode, actually, is uh, the Lily Tomlin episode of Saturday Night Live from November 22nd, 1975, which is the sixth episode of the first season. <laughs> I've asked you three times. Uh, uh, Lori knows, uh, discovered Saturday Night Live when she was a child, <laughs> and uh, she became aware of Lily Tomlin on Laughing. We've stocked that three times, and we're not going over it again. But I want to hear the story again of uh, this, the uh, episode opens with Chevy Chase doing a Gerald Ford impression. And when I say he's doing a Gerald Ford impression, he's just being Chevy Chase and with talking about being Gerald Ford. But you said that you met Gerald Ford and Chevy Chase at an event. So I want to hear about that. Did my brush brush with greatness? Actually, since I am from the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, where Gerald R. Ford is also from, and his museum is here, I have had a couple of opportunities to rub elbows with him. Uh, but as far as Chevy Chase, he was here in the mid '80s at the Ford Museum for a conference, which was a conference on humor in the presidency. So there was. Uh, Quite a few different comedians were here. Pat Paulson, Mark Russell, Chevy Chase was here. Ford was here. So, And I worked at the hotel across the street. So I got a chance to actually serve Chevy Chase and get to chat with him a little bit and get to know him. Never forgot meeting him. He was at that time when he came into the bar, he was very nice, very cordial, not rude, not snippy. Nice guy. Which is odd to hear because you hear nothing but bad stories about Chevy Chase in Hollywood. He has been, he's notoriously for being one of the hardest actors to work with, just being a general asshole. Uh, not my words, words from several people who have worked with him. So maybe he's nice to his fans because I ever, actually haven't really heard about uh, him being rude to fans just with his coworkers. He just liked me. How about that? That is a that is a very nice thing to have somebody like you. <laughs> Hard to believe. Just remember he was tall and nice. Uh, Chevy Chase did his Gerald Ford. That's how they opened the show. The credits before they're just the not ready for primetime players still in the credits. They don't get Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Chevy Chase. It's just the not ready for primetime players. So they don't even get their own. They don't even get their name spoken yet in the credits. This is how early it is in the show. 
And then we get to Lily Tomlin and she does her monologue. And what did yeah. you think of Lily, Lily Tomlin's monologue? We talked about this before, how I tend to overanalyze and tear everything apart. So from a comedy oh, well, okay. I'm sorry. Was- uh, I'm sorry. But so uh, an interesting fact about Lori is she is uh, a human lie detector. Uh, that's exactly. So you're able to tell when people are lying or not telling am, am, am I categorizing that correctly? You are correct. I would say it's hard to tell without ground proof if somebody's lying or not, but my skills allow me to look for credibility and to look for areas of um, let's look into this a little bit further because it doesn't appear you're being truthful. Yes, that's what I do. So I'm all, almost always in analytical mode. So sometimes it's hard to enjoy comedy because I'm too busy tearing everything apart. May I ask how you knew you had this or how you developed that being a lie detector? The short answer of it is quite a bit of professional training over the years. But I believe you have to start with a good foundation of discernment and you know, listening to your gut, but then there, there are actually scientifically proven methods that have been used by Secret Service, the Marshall Service, and Dr. Paul Ekman, one leading deception experts. So I studied with all of those guys and went to the Paul Ekman Institute. And so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't just like I'm a medium, I'm a, you know, I can read your mind. It was, it's extensive training that I went through. Okay, excellent. So didn't mean to cut you off there, but no, that's, no. Your, that's your background. So you said you were in analytical mode. What was your analytical mode about Lily Tomlin's monologue? Oh, well, so for her monologue, personally, I didn't think it was very funny, <laughs> but I said, okay, look, she's pausing for laughter. You know, she would say a, like a one-liner and then hold and let people laugh. So from a comedic part, I thought, okay, well, that's good. Because too often we step on the laugh and then you miss half of what she's saying. So her pauses were good. I like that she was able to identify with her audience, that she did a lot of New York geared material. And the fact that she had her, her bit right there was how she wrote these random thoughts in a notebook. And I just thought, no, this could be a new bit. And she's not worried about memorizing it because she actually is bringing her notes right with her. But it's part of the bit. So... Professionally, I liked it. See, comedically, I didn't find a whole lot funny, but. Well, yes, her, her notebook, because if you look closely enough, when she flips the pages, I believe the pages are blank. So I believe it was just a prop. Or maybe it was in pencil. Hard or maybe say. it was in pencil. That is true. Uh, but you said that she would pause for laughter. And also when she would pause, she would look up and she would smile at the audience like, that was the joke. She was prompting them. Here's the funny part. Yeah. <laughs> and she actually did a but, joke about the ozone layer, which was, to me, it's so, so even back in 1975, we were having discussions about the ozone layer. I, I vaguely remember that. I mean, it wasn't memorable for me, but I do remember her making a comment about that. Yeah, it was very, the whole show, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but the whole show was very topical to kind of what was happening in the era. Right, which is makes it hard to, I'm not a history junkie, so if you don't really know what they're talking about, it's hard to get the joke. But at the and, time, I would imagine the people who watched the show, for the most part, knew what she was referring to. Oh, absolutely. I 100% agree. When they're making this, I honestly don't think they thought that people would be seeing it again in 2021. <laughs> During a pandemic. During a yes. pandemic. So after the monologue, we go to John Belushi is playing Beethoven. And this is going to be a recurring joke. I believe these, I believe these bits were probably filmed and they were the show because a lot of the older ones, I believe a lot of the bits were filmed beforehand and probably and shown on the monitors. But this one was John Belushi. He was playing Beethoven and Gilda Radner and Lorraine Newman, Gilda played his wife, and Lorraine Newman played their maid. John Belushi, just composing as Beethoven, he comes up with tie a yellow ribbon. Yeah, Tony Orlando and Don. Which is very topical at the time. So that was like, it's an, when you listen to it now, it's like, that's an oldie. But at that time, it was a new song. So. 
Fairly new. Yeah. Well, the Tie Yellow Ribbon was the number one song in 1973, and this was 75, but that shows a test of time. It was still hanging in there a couple of years later. Uh, and then if you remember, too, they used that Tie Yellow Ribbon during the Iran-Contra when those hostages were gone. That was even a few years after that. Oh, So that okay. song really had longevity. It did. But to me, this is, I mean, it's a, it's a silly sketch, but to me what makes this sketch is Belushi and just his facial Belushi is a very good facial actor with his eyebrows so I had a good time watching Belushi he'd raise an eyebrow trying to come up with a tune you could smirk when he knew a song was coming on too that smirk would start to grow a little bit like oh here it comes it's a, it was a very good non-verbal because Gilda Radner and Lorraine Newman have all the lines in the sketch but all the jokes come from Belushi and just from his face, which is a yeah. very is a very great compliment. If you can make somebody just laugh with your face, that's a that's a great thing to do. Usually, usually because there's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was that was a cute little bit. It was now and then the next I and I don't know if Lily Tomlin went to Lauren Michaels and goes, "Yes, Lauren, I'll be on the show." But I have to sing in 80% of the sketches. I There was really no musical guest except for this, the Howard Shore that for that one tune, they did their little ditty, but they weren't really billed as a musical guest. I mean, it was like Lily was the host and the music. Right. Because it's how it's, it was Howard Shore and his all nurse band. I looked up Howard Shore and he was a Canadian, a Canadian music composer. And I've never heard of him. Bef yeah, I never heard of him, uh, I, and this is like the only time I've ever seen him. And the and the the joke is that the the band is dressed up as nurses while Lily Tomlin sits on the piano and sings. Uh, that's the whole. Singing the blues. Singing yeah. the blues. The one thing that I did do during this is like when the camera would pan the band, I would say, "Oh, he was in the Blues Brothers movie. He wasn't in the Blues Brothers movie. Oh. That guy was in the Blues Brothers movie." <laughs> Yeah, I didn't really, I couldn't identify, I mean, I, I enjoy blues quite a bit, so I was enjoying the old St. James Infirmary, but as far as the band and the whole nurses niche skit deal, I was like, I'm not really sure who these people are, but okay. <laughs> I did notice that Paul Schaefer, who was playing the piano, looked exactly like Elton John. He sure had a lot of hair, too. Did you notice that? All of Paul's hair? Yeah, well, not on top. He was already going bald on top, but he had all that hair along the along the side, and he had these big glasses on. And if you ever see this, you you would swear. And he's playing the piano. You would swear that's Elton John sitting behind the piano. That was before his Letterman days, too. Oh, right? way before think, his Letterman days. Yeah. yeah. And then we go to after that, we go to an arthritis commercial, which was try opening. Try yep. opening. And I actually remember, I vaguely remember these commercials uh, from the 70s. It was just hands, arthritic hands rubbing each other. And the gist of this is you have arthritis, but you can't open the bottle of medicine that <laughs> cures your arthritis. Well, and then the very last scene talked about the childproof safety cap and the cap was still intact, but the bottle was smashed open. Right. Like commercial parodies now are a cliche they may seem cliche now but the reason they're cliche now is because event you know they had to be they had to come from somewhere first and then we go to uh what is it land shark or jaws three as they call it which is the land shark the famous land shark sketch this was only six episodes in but they already did like the land shark like two or three episodes. So they're already repeating characters in the series and it's only the sixth uh, episode in. That seems a little lame. It does because it, this, the land shark was originally done in the Candace Bergen episode, which I believe was the third episode of the first season. So only like three episodes later, they're already redoing a character or redoing a sketch that hit. And I agree with you. I think it's I think it's kind of lame 
that they're only six episodes in and now they're already repeating characters and repeating sketches. Um, was it Jane? I think that when she had the slut, she hit Aykroyd over the head with it. She hit him in his front Templar lobe. So then during that scene, you know, he was writhing in pain. But then when they switched scenes to what, I guess, back at the police department, he kept rubbing the back of his neck like, oh, he's still in pain. But it's like, OK, but Dan, you got hit up front. <laughs> Why are you holding the back of your neck? The first Landshark sketch, Candace Bergen hits Garrett Morris on the head with a hammer. And in this sketch, Jane Curtin hits Dan Aykroyd on the head with a hammer. So it's really the same joke. I mean, if you're going to have a recurring character, that's fine. But they're just they're rehashing the same, not only the same premise, but the same joke, only three episodes apart. It's almost like they're treating it as an open mic. And it's like, well, that didn't really land. So let's re rework it and try it again. <laughs> maybe. But uh, this has become one of the most famous sketches in Saturday Night Live history. And maybe it was because they sort of rammed it down their throats when they first started the show. This has got to stop. We've got to do something. I know. I know that's it. I can get some people. We'll post deputies at the entrances and exits of all the buildings. I'm glad you're back. I know just how to handle this. What we're going to do is we're going to get some people together. Get a posse. Get a posse, that's right. Surround the area. Surround the area. Right. That's good. That's good. Surround the area. Walkie-talkies. Walkie-talkies. Good. Walkie-talkies. Maybe carry some harpoons. Carry some harpoons. That's a stupid idea. Because this just reminds me of a story. Are you familiar uh, familiar with the kids in the hall? Only to discuss it, but I have heard of it. Well, uh, the kids in the hall was produced by Lauren Michaels, who produces Saturday Night Live. In an interview, the kids in the hall were like, uh, "We don't want to do any recurring characters." And Lauren Michael was basically like, fuck that. You're doing recurring characters. So one thing that Lauren Michael did push was recurring characters. So maybe that's why it recurred. So maybe it hit so big in the in the Candace Bergen episode that it was in his mind. We got it, we can keep it rolling by keeping it fresh in people's minds. That is kind of a marketing thing, right? Put it in front of their face enough times they'll eventually remember it. Well, what did you think of the land start the land shark sketch? I thought that was dumb. <laughs> and it was, it was predictable. But then I did think, I was going to look it up. I didn't get a chance. Maybe you know. On the radio, was it Jane, I think, when she was listening to the radio? Wasn't that Don Pardo for real? It was Gilda listening to the radio, and it was Don Pardo on the radio. It was Don Pardo as the announcer on the radio. I know. It was, it was just so predictable. Yeah. I, I think just comedy in general, the thing that makes people laugh a lot of times is when it comes out of left field and you didn't see that coming. If this sketch was, if this basically the same sketch was shown three weeks before, people would or have already seen it and, and know what the right know what the beats of the sketch was going to be. Although the ending was was unexpected for me, when when didn't he come on and just say, "Hey, Lily and John, we're we're out of time. We're done." Yeah. You know, and they're like, well, wait a minute. Just let us finish it. He's like, no, we're done. This being the Dan Aykroyd podcast, this was really only the only sketch where Dan Aykroyd was featured. He's featured a little bit in one later. This is the only chance he gets to shine during the show is in this sketch. But then he ends up dying, right? Because Lily, when Lily's position was she was his widow. Right. He did end up dying. This was, of course, early in Saturday Night Live where they were tr still trying to find their footing. A lot of the shows were just based around the host. The host had a lot more to do. And I think that's why in the first season you get uh, people like Lily Tomlin and Richard Pryor and George Carlin and Robert Klein, who were these seasoned comedians who could fill time with comedy bits. I think that was what they were, because as the show went on, it became less and less about the host and more and more about the, you know, the not ready for primetime players. I but agree. in these first couple yeah. of episodes, 
people, uh, you know, not every, uh, Chevy Chase is the only one who really gets a lot of screen time and everybody else is regulated to one or maybe two sketches. And in those sketches are just background in a lot of them. Yeah, you could tell they're definitely trying to figure out figure out the show as they went to some degree. See what works, what doesn't work. Well, because like the next sketch, it's just called the Atlanta House. And it's Garrett that was Morris. weird. It was weird. It was just Garrett Morris and Jane Curtin making out on the couch. Chevy Chase walks in in this old bellhop uniform. He does his yeah, typical... He's like doing a, oh, I'm solace, huh? Let me, uh, uh, please excuse me. So he's, he's, he's doing a bad stereotypical African-American accent. And he starts dropping paper. It was just really, what did you, I didn't, what did you make of that? Well, initially I thought, oh, an interracial couple on TV in the mid seventies was not something that was widely spread. Yes. I a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. Because this is only like like the first interracial kiss was Kirk and Uhura on Star Trek. And that was only like six, seven years before. So, yes, this is very, very new. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. That was kind of the sum, sum total of the bit. I mean, it was supposedly in Atlanta. But then I kind of left like, why? What Was this our little shock? I mean, I, I didn't really get it afterwards. I thought Chevy's, Chevy's, Chevy's was being over the top sticky and then black and white the end next you know I mean, it was like what was what what was that maybe at that point they knew chevy chase was becoming the breakout star you know it was just a vanity sketch for chase just to to do his physical stuff but i agree with you 100 percent. i didn't get it i didn't i mean i thought oh a black and white couple this sketch could be really interesting but it didn't go anywhere with that no no, there was really no dialogue other than smooching. You know, it's like, okay, you got caught smooching. Yeah, well, no, Jane Curtin and Garrett Morris have no dialogue in that sketch. It's all Chevy Chase. Yeah, and it's just how, oh, I didn't mean to interrupt. And let me pick up my newspapers that I keep dropping. We, we both agree that that was freaking weird. <laughs> then the next one was a film, was uh, you were talking about Lily Tomlin and her characters. She actually does eat yeah. a pan. That was a really good example of Lily's physical comedy with his slip and sliding and the ankles and the oversized clothes. And yeah, I thought that was kind of cute at the end. And that's the truth. She kind of Edith and ended everything like that. Right. No, I, I thought it was really cute and I thought it was really nicely done. The funniest part to me was there's a dog off to the side and she says, dogs yes. aren't allowed on the ice. So I, I glued his paws down. But the dog never moves, which makes it like if the dog would have would have gotten up and walked, it was like, but the dog never moves. So you really think that maybe they glued his paws down to the ground. <laughs> and I know that Lily came on to SNL with a lot of the characters that she had done either in stand-up or on Laugh-In. So it was kind of nice that she brought her existing characters. You know, I was like ready-made skit. It's like, we're not creating this for today. Let's let's bring Edith on. Let's bring these other people on. I also like that they didn't do it with, they filmed it. So it was just Edith Ann from Laughing. For the most part, it's just Edith Ann giving us her thoughts. They didn't try to screw with the character. They let the character do what the character does. And I thought it was a really cute little sketch. Yes, I agree. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Then we have the next Beethoven sketch, and it's basically just a repeat of the first sketch, except on this one, it's my girl uh, that Belushi is doing as Beethoven. Hey, I have another brush with greatness on this one, too. Oh, let's hear it. So my girl, right, The Temptations, Smokey Robinson, Miracles. When I did a stint working at the airport and Smokey Robinson came through, and it was pretty funny because I was I had to check his ID and he thought I was just being like starstruck, you know, like saying, really, you want to see where I live? You know, he didn't say that, but I just got the impression like well, somebody else already checked my ID and it said William Robinson. And I happen to know that, you know, I mean, I, of course, was 99.9% sure it was Smokey coming up. If not, it was somebody who did a really good job looking like him, but 
So we came up and we chatted. And then I guess for a second, I did get starstruck. And I just said, you have the most gorgeous green eyes. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you have the most gorgeous blue eyes. And I was like, oh, Smokey told me my eyes are beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got the, I've got the vapors. Yeah, smack. Can I be my girl? I'll be your girl. <laughs> so he was a nice guy too. Smokey was very polite. He was kind of feeling like, really, can I just get on the damn airplane without everybody needing to look at my license? But we were. And then somebody came up and they said, "I heard you didn't know who Smokey Robinson was." And I was like, "No, I didn't know his real name was William so much, but I knew it was him." But the other thing on that bit with um, Lorraine and Gilda which I didn't pick up the first time when they said, oh, you know, you're not eating, Ludwig, you're not eating. But when they came back the second time, his first plates that he didn't eat were still there. And then they just piled more plates <laughs> on top of it. A very loose connection. He plays My Girl. And then years later, Dan Aykroyd starred in My Girl and My Girl 2. We had loose connections trying to get this recording going, didn't we? Yes. <laughs> oh, you've just jinxed us. You've just jinxed us. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going fabulous. Keep going. Let's let her rip there. So the next sketch is not really a sketch. It's just Gilda Radner coming up and saying, we're going to be gone for two weeks. And then when we come back, we're going to have Richard Pryor. And I think this was just to give Gilda screen time. Just to, They were just trying to find any type of way to give screen time to any of the not ready for prime time players. Because to me, this seems like something that should have come at the end of the show. But once I saw the end of the show, I know why it didn't come at the end of the show. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But this is just a commercial for Saturday Night Live about their upcoming guests. And they're going to be gone for two weeks. Pattern interrupter or wasn't ready to go yet. And they said, go buy some time or what was going on? Yeah. For their low PSA. Because because then we're back up to weekend update, right? So maybe they weren't ready, so she was buying time. Who knows? Who knows? It just seemed weird where it was. Because that just seems like something like, like Don Pardo. We're going to take two weeks off, and when we come back, we're going to have Richard Pryor. And... Yeah, and it, it, she wasn't trying to be funny. She was literally just doing a PSA. It's like, okay. Right, there was, there was no jokes. It was uh, She was like an MC. Just was giving information to the public because then, yes, because then the next is weekend update and Chevy Chase says, I'm, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. And you're not. I love that. (laughs) And I don't know. I don't know if this this is the first time he said it. It's only six episodes in. So if it's not the first time he said it, it's around the first time that he said it. That's the catchphrase that he claimed got him famous on that first season. Because every week he would mention his name, you know, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. And that was just a reinforcement. None of the other players could say that. I used to do that when I was starting out. I would do a bit and it would, I would like do this dialogue where and then I would say, hey, Lori, just so I could work my name in there. It, it's a nice tactic for people to remember who you are. Before I started doing comedy, I went and saw Doug Stanhope. And, and this was before, I, I know he's got some notoriety now, but he's nowhere near a household name. And this was even before it's notoriety. He would say 30 minutes into his act, he goes, what, what's my name? And like, basically nobody could answer. <laughs> you're just, you know, you're just looking at warm bodies behind the mic. So he just made the point of, yeah, I've been doing comedy up here for 30 minutes. And the majority of you don't know who my, what my name is, even though my name's on the marquee and I was brought up. So that was a right. very smart thing to do, incorporate your name throughout the set to get people to remember it. But that weekend update, it start, I thought it started off, it picks up the phone? It started off doesn't... weird. You're, you're absolutely right. It started off weird, which goes back to your comment, maybe they were buying time because they weren't ready. Because when the sketch, when the weekend update started, it still looked like they weren't ready. Right. Because he picked up the phone and then like didn't say anything and then put it down. So it's like, okay, were you supposed to be holding it before they cut away? And you just set the phone down. And then all of a sudden he was like, crap, I don't have the phone in my hand. I don't know. I don't know. It It was, was, uh, but no, you're absolutely right. It started, it started off very, very odd. And then it just went to news updates of the day which some of them I remember, some of them I didn't. 
Isn't that this was the one where he did the um, Ironside joke, right? Yes. About the wheelchair. About uh, Governor George <laughs> Wallace. Wallace, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the, now this is was I found this interesting is they did a bit about uh, apparently Ronald Reagan was trying to get toy guns banned or so, it was it was a something about toy guns. And Chevy Chase did a bit about a guy attacking Ronald Reagan with a toy gun and he was wrestled down. And then, of course, years later, we know that Reagan was actually shot with right. a real gun. Yeah. So it was it yeah. was. It was kind of eerie watching that. It was like they, they kind of predicted yeah. the future with that. Yeah. Just like the Simpsons. <laughs> yes. Well, and then what didn't uh, Chevy got tongue tied and he said that he did the toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, boat to toy try boat, and. Boat. Yes. During Weekend Update, they show that commercial for Spud Beer. And we were talking about how lame it was that they were already repeating bits. The next episode was with Richard Pryor. I've done a podcast on that. Go back to the Dan Aykroyd podcast, look under SNL Richard Pryor, and you can listen to that podcast. But in that show, they actually repeat the Spud Beer commercial. So, so they're, they're like piling. It's like stuff they've already done. They're doing it again. Two weeks in a row, actually, because Spud Beer, or whenever, two shows in a row, I should say, since they're taking two weeks off. Was it a different setup? Same product? I mean, like this one was the electrical shock therapy. Same product. Same commercial, and it was also done during Weekend Update. So it was exactly the same. Now, that one, that, that, I unpacked that one. I thought there was quite a bit in that electric shock because the patient was Alan Zweibel, who was one of the writers for SNL and who was a very, very good close friend of Gilda Radner. And ding, 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 I think this might be my last brush with greatness. I was able to meet Alan Zweibel. <laughs> In 2012, when in Grand Rapids, when he was here for Laugh Fest, which is our annual, we've done it for 10 years, and I've been a part of it every year. It's a fundraiser for Gilda's Club, which is a cancer support community. So Alan was here when they were doing Grand Rapids Live with, um, who was with him? Martin Shore and Kevin Nealon were here. Alan was the patient that was supposedly getting electroshocked. I thought that was kind of interesting considering he was one of the writers for SNL. And then I liked that in the very end for Spud Beer, the beer that made Boise famous. I'm like, okay, we Boise's a big Mormon town, so I'm not really sure how famous it made Boise. And Garrett Morris was in that sketch. I've done a handful of Saturday Night Live episodes, and I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Garrett Morris is criminally underused in all of these shows in the first two seasons at least because he's been in two sketches so far and he's had zero lines he had zero lines in that weird georgia sketch and then he's been in a yeah. bud beer commercial and he's had zero lines now at the end of weekend update he does his famous hard for the hearing our top story the interpreter <laughs> the, the interpreter and if you notice that he screwed up he was ahead of him, wasn't he? He was saying the line before it was said or something. He was ahead of Chevy Chase, and Chevy Chase sort of screwed with him at the end, you know, because he realized that he screwed up. But you are right. Yes, Garrett Morris was ahead of Chevy Chase. He was saying phrases that Chevy Chase had not seen and not said yet, <laughs> and Chevy Chase knew that. You could see by the look on his face, and he's like, well, I'm just going to screw with him then since he screwed up. <laughs> And now as a public service to those of our viewers who have difficulty with their hearing, I will repeat the top story of the day, aided by the headmaster of the New York School for the Hard of Hearing, Garrett Morris. Our top story tonight... Our top story is ...that the CIA has been involved in several assassination plots on foreign leaders. Several assassination plots against foreign leaders. And that's the news. And that's the news. Good night and have a pleasant... Now, you said Chevy Chase. Did you ever meet Kevin Nealon? Because Kevin Nealon is taller than Chevy Chase. He's like 6'6". Six, six. I see. I guess I would have had to bend. I'm 5'4". So anybody who's a little bit taller seems lurchy to me. But Kevin's I said, Kevin's 6'6". Six, six? Is that what you said? Kevin's either 6'5 or 6'6". Six, six. He's a very tall wow. man. Wow. Well, he, it wasn't memorable to me. So I guess I didn't look up at him. 
<laughs> Maybe he was sitting. That yeah, actually, it was kind of a panel thing they did. So interesting. A lot of tall comedians. Yes, a lot of tall comedians, but not a lot of tall actors. It's it's hard to be an actor when you're tall because most actors are around five eight or five nine. And it's hard. So if you're taller than that, it's hard. Like if you have to do a two shot or something, and it, and especially if you're a tall woman, it's it's also it's even extra hard as being a tall woman in the movies because most leading men, most actors are around the five nine, five eight, five nine mark. Yeah, and it's it's just a hard palette for people to have a woman that's taller than a man. Still, it is. It's weird. There's that famous <laughs> story of Alan Ladd. Alan Ladd was an old movie star and he was only five, six. He was co-starring with this woman whose name I forget, but she was like five, nine. And they had to do a scene where they walked along the beach. So they dug a trench on the <gasps> beach and she walked, she walked in the trench while he walked on the beach. So they would look oh, like they were the same height. Forget Sammy Davis Jr. lifts in your shoes, right? We'll just dig a trench. Right. Or William Shatner. A weekend update ends. And then we go to the sorority sketch where Lily Tomlin is writing a letter to Patty Hearst, also a product of the times. She's playing a Valley girl, which I believe was before Valley girls became popular. Susie, the sorority girl was one of Lily's existing characters. And, and her, her thing was that she was always talking about the Carpenter album. She worked that into every bit that she did. So that was one of Lily's characters that she brought forth. She was kind of a, snob a little bit not terribly funny just sort of a prim prim and proper the gist of the sketches is that patty hurst was a member of their sorority so lily tomlin is, is writing her a letter forgiving her for for being kidnapped and brainwashed and participating in all the bank robberies yeah and come back and i'm not going to call you tanya but she mentions the sla so yeah that was very political at the time now, the thing with me with that sketch is uh, Lorraine Newman has a small part in that sketch. And one of Lorraine Newman's characters was a Valley girl. In fact, in a recent interview, she said that's what got her on Saturday Night Live. She was in the Groundlings and she was doing her Valley girl character. Lauren Michaels saw her and that helped her get on Saturday Night Live. I, so I was surprised that Lily Tomlin playing like like Lorraine Newman wasn't playing another sorority girl with Lily Tomlin. Yeah, she had just a passing bit in that, right? She came in pretty much, what are you doing? I'm writing the letter. And then she walks away with a Carpenter album. So Susie can say, have you seen my album? And then boop, away she went. I think it was just another, let's give them a little bit of stage time. And this was when there was only six, seven characters, uh, six, seven uh, actors. Not like Saturday Night Live now, where there's like 20 people on the show. Those people were vying for time, and there was only like eight people in the cast. I can't imagine if there were like 20 people in the cast back then. I haven't seen SNL in quite a while, but does the host still have as much forefront as they did back here in the 70s? Uh, No, that's what I touched on before. The hosts now are more, like I said, when when it first started off, a lot of the hosts were not only actors, but comedians, sketch comedians. So they were able to hold their own because there's a lot of in those first couple of in those first episodes, there's a lot of focus on the hosts doing either stand up or sketches like Lily Tomlin was doing her characters. Now it's more like, let's just get a big name and we'll just and they're sort of the background people in the sketches where now the the actors are really, you know, the the Saturday Night Live actors are, are really forefront. Well, when there's so many more, the hosts wouldn't have an opportunity to take that much stage time if they're trying to squeeze in everybody else. And a lot of the hosts nowadays, it's like they're just not, they're not built for comedy. And these people were. And, like, and they're, they're, they were still trying to find their way because speaking of not knowing, speaking of finding their way, the next sketch is The Muppets. That was kind of weird because I kept hearing the Swedish chef and Statler and Waldorf coming out of <laughs> out of those characters. Yes, and um, and Ralph the dog. But it was interesting references because they mentioned Kukla, Fran, and Ollie, and then they brought up that picture of Fran Allison. But but that was 
if this was 75, Cuckoo with Fran and Ollie was like a 1950s reference. There was a lot of old references in an old TV show. So, yes, like watching it now in 2021, they're making references that went back to the 50s. I know who Kukla Friend and Ali is, barely. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan, but um, but I know what they were talking about. But the thing was, because Lily Tomlin sings again. Lily Tomlin pairs off yes. with one of the Muppets, and they then they sing uh, I Got You, Babe. Sonny and Cher, right? Sonny and Cher, yeah. <laughs> we, we forgot to mention before, in the sketch before, in the sorority sketch, she's actually singing to Patty Hearst. So this was a very musical show for Lily Tomlin. And I don't know if that was something that she wanted to do. I know Lily Tomlin as a great comedian. I don't really remember her for her singing. I don't know if she was wanted to try to try it or maybe I should go back and listen to her albums. Her voice is pretty okay. You don't Very think, kindly. oh, you shouldn't be singing. But yeah, I wondered that too, if she, because I know she was born in Detroit and went moved on to what, to New York, but I didn't know about all the singing she was capable of doing. Well, yeah, she, so that means she probably grew up with Motown. Yeah, because all of us from Michigan know Motown, right? <laughs> Absolutely. With a Muppet sketch with Lily Tomlin, it was sort of a precursor where you see Lily Tomlin talking to a Muppet. And then a few years later, we actually have the Muppet show where they have human guests among the Muppets. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, I think because uh, from what I've seen so far, all the Muppet sketches, there were no human beings involved. It was just the Muppets. This is the first one I saw where they actually incorporate a human precursor to the Muppet show. And now let's take a break with a word from one of our sponsors. Hey, everyone. My name is Chase Austin, host of the Movie Gap Podcast. Every week, we look at a new movie that my co-host, Bryce Perkins, hello, has never seen. Bryce. Yeah. Is it true that you've never seen basically any movie? That's so true. And you like to talk about them after the first time you've seen them? I love it. What are some movies that you have never seen? Uh... That we've talked about, <laughs> so you have seen now? Uh, Indiana Jones? Boom. Jaws. Huh? Poltergeist. How have you not seen that? I know. Find a new episode every Wednesday, wherever you get podcasts. And now back to the Dan Aykroyd podcast. Then afterwards, we had a film by Albert Brooks. Once again, this, this was a repeat from the first episode. Lily said that. She said something about, for those of you who didn't see it, I'm playing it again. I mean, okay. <laughs> Yes. I mean, what, I guess maybe because we didn't have VCRs, didn't record things in the 70s, so you may not have had another opportunity to see it. I just thought that was kind of like, well, that was just a weird thing to stick in there. They could have used that space to put another sketch in to feature more of the not ready for primetime players. Instead of rerunning something, maybe they didn't have a sketch. You know, They just needed it to fill time. It there was a to couple me- of places. That seemed like filler. Like when they were doing their storyboard to lay out the whole outline, it's like, oh, we don't have anything here, so let's just stick this in there. And so I reviewed this part from, because I also reviewed the first episode of Saturday Night Live. That's where this one is from. The, the part of it where it's just like weird is where what state they go, the age of consent, they've lowered it to nine. So you see this businessman out on a date with a nine-year-old girl. Yes. And and they ask him, like, who's this or who's your date? And he was like, it's just somebody. Or he was real vague about how he answered it. Not to get political, as of now, while we're recording this, uh, one, of our, uh, one of our congressmen here, Gates, Matt Gates, is embroiled in controversy having sex with an underage girl. And here we are back in 1975, where they're doing a joke where it's okay to quote-unquote date a nine-year-old it's just really weird (laughs) oh i know with oh jeffrey epstein and prince philip and all of this stuff that's in the news today and you think back to the 45 years ago it's like wow wow. 45 years ago we're gonna do a joke about having sex with a nine-year-old it was like yeah Yeah. (laughs) did you enjoy the film are you an albert brooks fan let me ask you that no i'm not so that's why i was weird the cab driver can't see i don't know i i i didn't i could have gotten up to go in the bathroom during that one well i'll i'll admit i skipped it because like i said i've already i already saw it i reviewed it when i did the first episode so yeah 
I mean, that was another part that it was kind of like, oh, all right. Can I fast forward? Let's let's keep moving on. And we keep moving on to the third Be- comedy comes in threes. The third Beethoven sketch. At that time, he had all a bunch of dishes and plates that were just piled up on the piano from when he wasn't eating again. He does his Ray Charles, which is also a connection is he's doing his Ray Charles impression. And then a few years later, him and Dan Aykroyd are going to be the Blues Brothers. And Ray Charles is actually going to be in their movie. Oh, boy. And that's when he snorted the cocaine, too, right? On well, it was, it was snuff. It's uh, what they, back in the olden days, they would have this stuff called snuff, which was tobacco. And they would put it up their nose and it would make them sneeze. Because I was like, wow, they're doing blow right there. No, it wasn't. It was supposed to be snuff, but I believe it was sort of a vague reference to cocaine. That's the way he does it. Yeah, but snuff was, it was like powdered tobacco and men would like sniff a little and it would make them sneeze. I don't know. I don't know why. I guess I guess sneezing back then was a orgasmic really? thing. Yeah, yes. Yeah, but it was snuff. But I could see. And then, of course, you know, Belushi's passed. So it's really easy to make that connection when seeing this. And another brush with. No, I, <laughs> I never met Ray Charles. <laughs> nope. Never met Ray. <laughs> no. Ray never. Charles didn't try to seduce you by feeling your wrist. Nope, he didn't. <laughs> Miss out on that. <laughs> Uh, but this one, yeah, Belushi puts on his sunglasses and he starts singing Bray Charles and Gilda Radner and Lorraine Newman come in and start singing backup. Uh, I thought it was a nice trilogy. I thought it was a nice, you're going to do comedies in three short, uh, these are what we call blackout sketches. It's just a short sketch. You get the gist of it and they they black out. I thought it was a nice three. I Like I said, I enjoyed Belushi's facial expressions. And as you said, they they kept the running joke of trays kept piling up on the piano. That was something nice and subtle, which was very funny. Yeah, I liked it. And he did that started off the same. He was kind of oblivious when they came in and then he'd lift his head like, oh, good morning. Hello. <laughs> good morning. How to good to see you. He spoke like a robot. Yeah. <laughs> now, the next one is uh, one of my I think one of my favorite sketches in the is the female construction workers where Lily Tomlin, they're reversing the roles. So Lily Tomlin are teaching the women how to catcall men. That one, you know, what was interesting for me, what caught my eye on this one is when Lily was, you know, showing them here, ooh, baby, baby, and all the things that you say and how you do it. She sounded almost verbatim, the exact words, tone, and everything, like old, big, rosy Greenbaum from Laverne and Shirley. And I thought... This is interesting. I wonder if they have duplicate writers because they were actually right about the same time. Laverne and Shirley first came out in 1976, and this was 75. And it may have just been a coincidence. I mean, you know, from comedy, sometimes it's like, I, I wrote that joke, and it's like, well, no, there's, there's really nothing new, just different spins on it. But I thought it was so ironic that Lily's voice, her inflections, and the actual words she used, you could probably pair it up with a scene with Big Rosie from Laverne and Shirley. Just a little side note there. No, excellent. Yes. And I, the one thing I'll say about this sketch, and I actually say about all the sketches is, it looks like the actors had their lines memorized because I never caught anybody reading cue cards, which nowadays is you can totally see people in these Saturday Night Live sketches just reading cue cards. They're not even trying to hide it. It's interesting you should say that because I thought either Lily is very good at reading cue cards or there aren't any because I noticed that too. Usually they can't even pull their eyes off of it. It's like, well, that's pretty obvious. Yes. So it's either one or the other. Uh, So either they had their lines memorized or they really know how to read cue cards because everybody did a great job. This is now a premise we've seen before where they, they turn it on its ear. It's like, you know, the women are catcalling men. But back in 1975, this was a relatively new idea. And they bring in Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> you know, Dan Aykroyd. Now, this is a question I want to ask. Is uh, Dan Aykroyd is in a tank top and Daisy Dukes. But yeah. this is 1975. So this was before the Dukes of Hazard. So what did they call Daisy Duke? shorts before daisy duke yeah it was before his time what yes. did they call him hmm. 
He didn't like to be objectified very much, though, did he, in that skit? <laughs> and that was it. That was the, that was, they were basically, it was a funny sketch, but they were basically, you know, trying to convey that you make women feel uncomfortable. You make women feel bad when you do this to them because the ladies say all the lines that men use. It's like, ah, he likes it. He's just pretending he doesn't like it. It's like they're saying all the lines that men say to themselves to justify their reason for doing that, for, for doing things like that. Uh, uh, I don't think he likes this. No, no, no. Hey, can I put on my coat now, please? May I put on my coat, please? No. Okay, class, hey. Y'all saw how Danny here, uh, he's reacting like he's insulted? It's all an act. Believe me, trust me, Gilda. He loves it. Every minute of it, he loves it. Yeah, when you stop whistling, you should have start getting nervous. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Okay, all right, I'll try again. Hey, 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 come on, baby. Yeah. yeah. I'm not your baby. Hey, 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 check this. Hey, 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 check this. Hey, 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 hey. Now, when you get your example of your repartee, I mean, if you're a hardhead who's done her homework, you're going to have a battery of witticisms and bon mots. Lorraine. Hey, crazy pecs. Where'd you get those pecs? Why don't you flex them for me, butch? Uh, give me a cheap thrill. Uh, how do you like a staple in your navel? <laughs> okay, just hold on a minute. What do you think I am? Men have feelings too, you know. I don't have to take this. I thought I was coming in to help. Come on, you eat this stuff up like a fork, you know. I mean, you love it. Don't complain. Okay. Your little teas, your little juicy buns. Yeah, that's hey. Okay. Hey, that's enough. Knock it off. Okay? Oh, hey, hey. They're so cute when they're mad. Hey, <laughs> they man. are so cute. The thing I thought was interesting, though, and I don't know if it's the continuity deal, but she. Lily was calling the gals Gilda and Jane. I noticed that too. And she calls Dan Danny. So she calls everybody by their their names, their actual names. I didn't know if they didn't have time to make up character names or they were just going to do it that way because she clearly is the construction worker. Wasn't Lily the construction worker necessarily? And uh, yeah, this is the other time that that Dan Aykroyd gets to shine. So he was in the uh, the Landshark sketch, and now he plays a a, a piece of meat in this sketch. I'm actually surprised that uh, Chevy Chase did not do this because this seems like something that he would do. You know, I think makes you Chevy- wonder if Dan pushed back and said, "I need more time." He said, "Maybe." Enough. Yeah, that's that's enough, Chevy. Because from what I've gathered from the original cast of Saturday Night Live. That Dan Aykroyd is really the only person alive that still really talks to Chevy Chase. All the rest of them, even when they were alive, didn't really care for Chevy Chase. So Dan Aykroyd is the only one out of that group who's just like who still communicates with them and puts up with them. Wow, he's quite quite a doozy there. <laughs> I guess he can't be loved by everybody. This was probably one of my favorite sketches. And it was probably written by Ann Beats, who recently passed away a couple of weeks, uh, even I think like a week ago. Ann Beats or Ann Betts? I don't know if I'm pronouncing. Um, I don't know who that is. That was she was he, one of the writers on the show. He was one of the one of the only female writers on Saturday Night Live. She was known as a pioneer in female comedy, being uh, one of the first female writers on Saturday Night Live and giving women more of a more of a voice in comedy. So I should I, know that. Yes, so I have a feeling that she probably wrote this sketch. Whenever the women work together, I always find those sketches enjoyable because I think Lorraine and Jane and Gilda all have a great chemistry. I don't think they're trying to outdo each other. If you see a sketch with like Chevy and Dan and John, especially like Chevy and John, you get that feeling like they're, they're we're we're trying to outdo each other. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna be the funniest in this. Sketch. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna Who's be the. Who's got the biggest pair? And I'm gonna go first. And there's too much testosterone in the room. Whereas with the women, it's girl power. Let's do this. I agree. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Another commercial. Another commercial. Yes. And, and with an actress who's not Jane Lorraine or Gilda. I yeah, I was like, I don't know who that is. Who I don't is know who that, that's what I have in my notes. I've got housewife question mark. I don't know who that was. But it's basically a, a commercial about speed. You've got three talented, even 
even if you don't Lily Tomlin, that would Lily Tomlin is famous for her, you know, talking and stuttering and trying to get things. Oh out. yeah, the fast talking. That would yeah, yeah, you know, she did that way before Ellen did. That would have been a perfect role for her, even if you're not going to give it to one of the three women. So I don't know why they're bringing in, unless this was a sketch from a previous show that they just threw in. But I don't understand that at all. It stuck out in my mind because it's like, oh, an, another pharmaceutical commercial. But yeah, the, I got hung up because I was too busy trying to figure out who that Ellen Sherman housewife was. <laughs> I didn't recognize her. No, I didn't recognize her either. But then if you remember, the, what was kind of funny was they were promoting you can get these, ask them from your doctor and then ask for your neighbor's doctor. Just go around and collect as many drugs from as many. <laughs> I, don't, I think they try and avoid that now. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Go to your doctor, then go to your friend's doctor, then go to your friend's friend's doctor. <laughs> and it was just, mm-hmm. I mean, mid seventies, drugs were just like really rampant in the mid seventies. Well, and there was a lot of stay-at-home moms who had the children to raise in the house to keep up and the ironing before husband got home. And so they needed their little speed to keep going. Right. What's that uh, rolling, Mother's Little Helper, the Rolling Stone song? <laughs> this was the height. Yeah, you were right. This is the height of Mother's Little Helper. And it was one of those things like you don't expect the housewife to be a drug addict. And we had back then, if you watch those television shows, you know, if you smoked a joint, you were a hardcore drug addict, but mom at home doing a handful of speed. That's eh, okay. Well, that was the same time when a lot of moms were had their little Valiums too. Just oh get yeah. Get in the vapors, take a happy pill, take a <laughs> Mamas have always been associated with pharmaceuticals. Uh, then after that commercial, we have Lily Tomlin dressed in a poodle skirt. She looks like a cast member of Grease. Grease. Yeah, that's what I thought. At the sock hop. Yep. At a sock hop. She's doing a one-woman uh, monologue, which I guess well, that's redundant because a monologue is one person. What she's doing, she's pretending to be talking to all these people at a party. And so she's talking to them, and she I thought she did a really good job. I did too, but I thought it went on a little bit long. I thought it went on a little bit long as well. The one thing with Saturday Night Live is they've always had trouble... Like, I would have liked that Landshark sketch. I liked it, but I would have liked it better if it was just a bit shorter. Well, and I know this isn't stand-up comedy, but a lot of the same principles apply. You know, you need to edit ruthlessly. And it's like, just get to the funny. Just kind of, okay. He didn't get it, you know. Cut out the fat. Get to where we got, get to where we got to go. This is just basically a showcase of uh, Lily Tomlin's skills. Like around laughing time, she was in office. Jane were writing their one woman shows. And so, you know, that kind of came naturally to her to do that, produce her own. I, I think she wanted to leave, I leave laugh in. She was more interested in writing a one woman show, which she was incredibly good at. I mean, I liked her on laugh in, but they were just little short snippets. There. They were just she got to short highlight her talents, but more. We end the show once again with Lily Tomlin and she's surrounded by Garrett Morris Jane Curtin, Lorraine Newman, and Chevy Chase, and they're all in the B costume. Yeah. And now, if you notice, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi are not there. And I don't know about Aykroyd, but I know John Belushi hated the Bs, and he hated being in the B costume. So I don't know if that's a reason why he was not. He wasn't in any sketches beforehand, so it's not like he had to do a quick costume change. So I yeah, don't know if that's by design intentionally not there. That's what it looks like. And I don't know if it's because he hated being the bees or if they just didn't want him there. They all start singing a bebop, as they call it. So they all start scatting. And Garrett, Garrett Morris, at the end of the show, he finally gets to speak. He's like, Lily, we've got something special for you. And then the band starts playing and they start bebopping and, you know, and scatting. But Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi are both musically inclined. So I don't know why they weren't there other than the fact that they didn't want to put on the bee costumes. Could be. I also noticed that that piece started off, I think uh, Gilda was supposed to say the first line. And there was this awkward pause. And then Lily kind of prodded her. Yes. Lily goes, you're on. And she's like, oh, (laughs) yes. So that's like the, the... the second or third time during the show, it looks like they didn't know the sketch was going on. They didn't, or they were, the, the, the cameras were on. 
Right. Like, they didn't realize it was live. It's like, oh, okay, go time. But yeah, the, the, and then that's how it ended. That's right? how it and ends with them. And if you notice. Wow. I didn't know you could do that, Scott. Yeah, I didn't know I could do that either. And I'll probably never do it again. <laughs> but if you notice during the, the, the final, Lily Tomlin kisses Garrett Morris on the lips. And she also kisses Lorraine Newman on the lips. I missed both of that. I'll have to go back and check that out. Yeah. I think because it got to the end and it was like, okay, there we go. Because it, it seemed like a really long hour, probably because of some of those skits that could have been shortened. The running time of mine, I think it was, uh, they take out commercials. So it was like an hour and 10, hour and 15. So without the commercial, it runs for a little over an hour. So it was a really long hour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, so what did you overall think of this show, of this episode? Well, comedically, I didn't think too much of it was funny. There was a couple of lines that made made sense. I mean, that made me laugh. But I did like, I liked the variety. I liked how they tried different things. I To me, that's just indicative of how comedy works, right? You just, you think it might work, just try it. Let's see what happens. You know, some of it I thought was dumb, but I also learned really early on in my career, something is not necessarily that it's not funny. It's just, it's not funny to me. So some of the things may have landed very well with different viewers, just not with me. That's one thing that I have learned as well, because uh, I don't like it when people ask me, do you think he's funny or do you think she's funny? And I very rarely say somebody's not funny. If I say somebody's not funny, <laughs> I mean it because they might not be funny to me. They might not be funny to my taste. But that doesn't mean they're not funny to everybody else or other people. So I try to stay away from saying somebody's not funny. So Saturday Night Live has been on a year. So they obviously find it's not for everybody, but comedy is not supposed to be for everybody. You find your people find you and they're doing something right to still be on the air. I really, I really, really hate to quote Bill Cosby because we found out that he's a monster, but he said, the worst thing you can do in comedy is try to please everybody. And that is true. You can't please everybody. You just have to do what you have to do. And as you said, the people who like you will find you. I met Bill Cosby. <laughs> For <laughs> real. <laughs> another another brush with greatness. Or, well, maybe not. Did you remember well, it? And you know, it's, but I was at uh, Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp in, in West Michigan. One summer, he was probably about 13 years old, and he was performing that night. He was not inappropriate at the eaten pudding with Bill. <laughs> but yeah, so there you go. What do you think of what did you think of the episode? You've seen a whole lot more than I have. They still don't have the format down because I still think it's odd. It's like Saturday Night Live is they do the cold opening, they do the monologue, they do a short sketch, and then they introduce the musical guest. And like nowadays, like the musical guest doesn't come on until like 30 minutes into the show. So I can still see where they're finding their finding their legs. I, I've said this. I, I mentioned it before, like like Gilbert, uh, uh, Gilbert, Moore, uh, <laughs> Garrett Morris. And basically all three of the women are criminally underused. They have all this talent there. They probably haven't found it yet, but they're criminally underused in the first two seasons. We need to see more of them. The sketch with all the women on there, it was just, I, that was one of the, that was the best sketch in the show. So yeah, I would give it like a, a, a six out of 10. You know, it's, it's nice to watch. I thought, you know, Lily Tomlin, I enjoyed, I enjoyed all of her stuff. And it's nice to see how, to see how the show has evolved. No, I was good. I was, I was glad you asked me to take a look at it. I actually watched it twice. Like I like to read magazines, you know, it's like flip through it first and then let's go back and let's really tear it apart. Now, before we go, uh, what is it that you want to promote? Where can people find you? What is it that, and I'll put all the links to these in the description of the podcast, but what do you want to promote right here? Well, I would say, if I can have a twofer, my lie detecting skills, I wrote a really nifty book on how to tell if somebody's lying. And so that's at laurieairs.com. But as far as comedy goes, I have had to pivot during this whole last year because I used to be for the last many years a keynote speaker in a convention comedy 
when's when is the next time you think we're going to be able to fill a convention hall in Vegas with 10,000, 15,000 people? Probably not anytime soon. So what I've done is come full circle. I, my first comedy character I created in the mid 80s. And now here it is 2021. And, and the comedy character that is my one up front these days is Malva Rose. So that's, I guess, what I like to promote. Malva's just getting ramped up on social media. And so, you know, her Instagram is pretty lame and she needs to start doing a little bit more. But I've been locked in the house in Michigan, unable to perform. So, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more of Malva. I, I really like her character. She's posh. She's British. She thinks Americans are ridiculous. And she gets to say a lot of things that... As an American, I wouldn't say that, but as a posh British person, they're so ridiculous. Where can we find Malva? MalvaRose.com. Okay. Will that have her Instagram links on it and all that? Indeed it does. All right. So once again, as I said, I will put the links to all those in the description of the show. I want to thank Lori. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for, we finally got through the, the many, many stumbles. Thank everybody for watching, and we'll see you next time here on the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. Bye-bye. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. has been a Cross the Streams media podcast.